Thanks for tuning in to Freelancer Therapy. My name is Amber Rhodes. I've been a freelancer myself. And on every episode of Freelancer Therapy, I will be talking to a freelancer, a solopreneur, part-time, full-time, anytime, and asking them about their mental health and wellness. Enjoy the show. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to Freelancer Therapy, where we have conversations about mental health and wellness for freelancers and solopreneurs. Today, I'm joined by the unstoppable Corey Underdown, who turned her freelance side hustle into a full-time career in marketing. Hey, Corey. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I would love if you could start out by telling me what you do and what led you to that. So I'm currently in marketing. I have a pretty heavy focus on content marketing and digital marketing. And initially I, it kind of, I landed on this on accident because I left a relationship where I had been a stay at home mom for a couple of years. I didn't have a job. I needed something quick. And I went back to the service industry and restaurants. And I was like, this is not going to work now that I'm a mom with two kids (laughs) by myself. This is not going to work. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of brainstorming. I was like, what can I do that I can bring in money? I can be home with the kids and, and I don't have to pay for childcare. And Mm -hmm. so I, got the idea to do virtual assisting. I was like, Mm -hmm. I I have skills and I just didn't know how to use them really. So what I did was I offered virtual assisting services and kind of let people come to me with what they needed help with. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, it helped me narrow down what I liked doing. And then I was able to eventually quit my job. I was at that time I was working at a winery And I was able to quit my job and do the freelancing as a VA full time with my kids. And it was amazing. And then about a probably like eight months into that, I, one of my best clients, she was like, I think you would be amazing at marketing. I Mm -hmm. would love your help. We don't have any marketing happening right now. And she asked me to come on full time. And I was so scared. And I was like, I'll do it, but I'm still going to keep my VA clients. You know, I'm going to keep my, the rest of my clients mm-hmm. and I'll do it and I'll give it a shot. And the only reason I said yes was because I'm working from home and it was exciting, something mm-hmm. that I was very interested in. And from there it grew into now I'm the director of marketing at that company. Mm-hmm. I still do VI work on the side, but now I've transitioned to only doing marketing type work. And it's been really, really amazing for me as a single mom. Yeah. And it sounds like you maybe didn't have any experience in marketing before that client saw that capability in you. Is that correct? Yeah. I had light experience. Um, Mm -hmm. I had like managed a restaurant before, and that was kind of part of what I had to do. And I had done event planning before. So I had some, you know, sales and marketing knowledge from just needing to do parts of it in those roles, but I had never really even thought of what I was doing before as marketing Mm -hmm. and never thought of it in a way that that could be my career. And so when she saw that potential in me, because, you know, I'm a natural writer. One of the things she had had me doing for her was writing blogs Mm -hmm. and 
And so then once she saw that potential and asked me, I was like, you know, that sounds really interesting. And then I was allowed to learn on the job and become really good at it. And now I don't think I'll ever leave marketing. (laughs) Oh, that's, see, that's such a wonderful story. And I think it kind of goes to show that when you're able to attract the right clients who really believe in you, then they're willing to invest in you rather than just have you do one or two projects here and there. They want to see you grow with them. That's, she sounds really amazing. That's awesome. She really is. The day I met her, I got in my car and I started crying because I was so happy. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a happy crier too. I cry at every emotional state. So I I can relate to this. (laughs) Yeah. It was a, it was a really positive thing for her to come into my life at that time. So, and for this opportunity too. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about your mental health journey. You, from what I understand, you have a very long mental health journey. So I guess I'm curious to how that intersects with your work life and working with your kids at home and how you've just managed all of that. So that was a huge question. Tell me a little bit about your mental health journey so far, and then we'll just kind of break it down from there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do have a very long mental health story. Um, I was diagnosed with major depression at three years old, which Mm -hmm. is pretty much unheard of. But Mm -hmm. so I've pretty much been medicated for some kind of mental illness since I was three. I, when I was 16, I had a, my first suicide attempt that Mm -hmm. I ended up being hospitalized for almost two weeks. And then I did like a, an outpatient therapy slash school. So instead of going back to school, I went to this therapy and I did that for a couple of months. And at that point I had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And from there, I just kind of always, I was a very, very emotional kid, tons of huge emotions that felt like they were uncontrollable, no matter what kinds of medications I was on. I know it was really difficult for my parents. It was really Mm -hmm. difficult for me. I ended up pretty much spending most of my childhood just alone. You know, I, I spent a lot of time reading. I didn't have very many friends because I had so many big emotions and I was so, I don't know. I just felt so different from everyone else because no one else around me had the same emotional issues that I did. And as I got older, they kind of seemed to like fall back a little bit for periods of time. And then something would happen that would, it would all unleash very suddenly at the worst moments. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I have had a couple of pretty terrible relationships. Mm -hmm. And so I've noticed now a pattern after three of those bad relationships there's kind of been a pattern of like, I'm great while I'm by myself. I get into one of these relationships and then I have that moment where I just crash to the bottom because I've, I've notoriously found myself in these abusive or just really awful relationships. Mm -hmm. And so that would obviously tear anybody down, but I, would go on and off my medications. And I just never felt like anything was working. And Mm -hmm. so I then had two more suicide attempts, one more utilization. 
And then the other one, I was not hospitalized. And actually most people don't even know that it happened. It was just Mm -hmm. me by myself for a couple of days recovering. And that was pretty scary. But something that has happened with that recently is I, 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 I had stopped taking medications a while back just because psychiatry is expensive. I didn't feel like they were working. I didn't want to keep like fighting to find a doctor that would listen to me. Mm-hmm. And, and then eventually after last year and everything shutting down and I felt myself just get way, way, way worse. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, okay, it's time. Well, I waited till this year, but I was like, it's time. <laughs> I need yeah. to find a psychiatrist. And so I, I luckily, you know, they're all virtual right now. And so I was able to, there wasn't a huge barrier of me getting there. It was just the cost. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. And I, I paid the money and I spoke to a new psychiatrist and I learned that I had been misdiagnosed at three. I had been misdiagnosed at 16 and I actually have ADHD and autism. Mm. And those, those things are often misdiagnosed in women and girls because the presentation is so different than what the, you know, diagnostic criterias state, because most of those are based on male presentations. Mm -hmm. And so learning this, this has only been like a few months ago, learning all of this has been a game changer in my mental health in a way that I wish could have happened for me as, you know, a child. And sometimes I'm a little sad, you know, like, man, things were really hard and they really didn't have to be because I could have felt like this back then. But the, the good side of that is I feel like this now I feel good. I feel better. I feel empowered and confident and everything. So yeah, that's been a a really wild journey for me this year, (laughs) but it's exciting. So, so you were able to still build up your business, still find this incredible job when you were struggling pretty deeply with mental health. Does that sound right? Yes. And how were you able to do this? I'm just curious. It's just so, it is difficult to get out of bed when you have depression and you're like feeling overwhelmed. What, what kept you motivated? It really is. And so I have been a single mom to my daughter since the day I got pregnant. She is almost 10. Now I had her when I was 19. She has been the single driving factor in everything I have done. The day that she was born was the day that I decided I was going to make something of myself and, and that I was going to give us the life that we deserve. Mm -hmm. And now I also have her three-year-old brother. The two of them give me motivation that I never would have had on my own because Mm -hmm. they're giving me a purpose and a reason I need to pay the bills because they deserve a good life. I need to go grocery shopping because they deserve a good life and they deserve to eat. And, you know, I deserve to, or they deserve to have a good mom from me. Like they need that. And so everything I do comes back to that and having them for my motivation But then I also have this, I don't know, it might be weird, 
but usually when I, when I'm faced with adversity, I get this, just like, I am going to power through, it's going to happen. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to do what I need to. Mm-hmm. And then once I'm safe again, once it's done, once, you know, I'm like, there's the relief of, okay, I did it. I made it through. That's when I break down. Mm-hmm. So I, I have this like internal drive and I think I get it from my dad because he's the same way, but it's like there, when there's something hard, I push through and push through and push through. And then once it gets a little bit easier is when I actually do the breaking down part. That's actually really relatable. I know what you're talking about. And I think that if for some people that can be a symptom of burnout. So it's like you, you put all of this effort in and then when you don't have that same pressure on you, you're just like, oh, now what, <laughs> you know, like, it's just kind yeah. of, it's almost like not a grief really, but you've released something. And now it's like, where's that motivation come from anymore? Cause I had all these external influences and now it has to come from within. <laughs> it has to come from within me. Like it's a lot. I think that it's really interesting and inspiring that your kids are your motivation. I'm also curious, like, what would you recommend? I think that having that bigger picture of what you want to be and how you want to be is really important. What would you recommend maybe to people who don't have children who kind of need that bigger why? Do you, this is a big question. So do you have anything from your perspective that could help? As somebody who, okay, I have quite a few animals, but I wouldn't classify myself as like an animal person. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely more of like a kid person than an animal person, but I would, my advice would be if you don't have a child to do it for, do it for your pet, do it for your fish or your hamster, or, you know, add some weight and value to something else, depending on you. If you, if your own needs aren't important enough to do it, place something else with that importance of you have to do it for that thing, for that person, for that animal. Yeah, I agree. That's the sole reason I got a dog the first time. This thing's <laughs> going to keep me alive because I got to keep him alive, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like, that was the motivation. Yeah, that's really. Or even plants. Like, I got to do it for my plants, you know? <laughs> like... Plants. I mean, yeah, like even buy an expensive one, you know, like one that I just, I spent $50 on this and I cannot let it die. I have yeah. to keep this thing alive. Yeah. Not those cheap ones from like Trader Joe's or whatever, like get an expensive plant. Yeah. Keep it alive. What do you do when you're feeling really overwhelmed, especially? So I imagine now, now that you're feeling better and you've been diagnosed, it probably doesn't hit the same way. So I'm curious how your reactions to being overwhelmed have changed from like last year to this year and what strategies you've used either year. Last year, I, I started noticing that I was having a hard time because everything was so hard to do. It was hard to sit down at my desk. It was hard to, you know, write the blog post. It was hard to stay focused through the Mm -hmm. end of the day. It was so hard. And I was taking naps all the time. Like, I mean, I do work from home, so that's Mm -hmm. a perk, but when you're like, having a crutch of 
I'm trying to avoid my work. So I'm going to go take a nap. That can be a problem. And I was really noticing that a lot that I was super overwhelmed. I was super depressed and I was still having to get up because I have kids, I have animals, I have things to take care of, but I couldn't force myself to actually get the work done. I would, you know, pretend or fill my time until finally it's like something's due at midnight and it's 9 PM that same day. And okay, now I finally have to do it. You know, that was kind of how I was living. And the difference now is that I'm able to stay focused throughout the day. Mm -hmm. I I am still struggling a little bit with remembering what's on my to-do list (laughs) and remembering to update my to-do list. Mm -hmm. But, um, but when I'm looking at my to-do list, it's not overwhelming me right now, you know? Yeah. And I think some of the things that, that helped me last year in getting over that was really, truly just getting through it and doing the bare minimum and not holding myself to the high standard that I normally would. And that just getting something done was okay. It didn't Mm -hmm. have to be as perfect as I normally would have wanted it to be because I couldn't deliver that at that time. And now I'm able to deliver higher work because I'm happier because I took that time to take care of everything that I've needed to take care of. I it's all coming back now. Mm -hmm. And the only thing is I still will take a nap. If I, (laughs) if I like having like a one-off hard day, I'll I'll go take a nap. It's, I think the big problem though, is when it's every day. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that your clients or your work colleagues even noticed a drop in your performance? No, no. Do you think that you're just really good at masking it or maybe you're just really hard on yourself? I think that all marketers are hard on themselves. I think anyone that is neurodivergent is very hard on themselves. Mm -hmm. And if you have, you know, struggles with depression, you're likely very hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. And then I agree in our, in this profession, we tend to be hard on ourselves. Maybe we're all neurodivergent, mentally ill people, but I think that nobody really noticed unless it was like, I fully missed a deadline, Mm -hmm. you know, but other than that, like my actual work quality wasn't being, being on time instead of early wasn't noticed or recognized, you know, Mm -hmm. like instead of my typical perfectionist self, getting something done three days early, I would just turn it in on the due date and nobody's like, oh, you're three days later than you normally would be. You know, nobody cares. Nobody notices. Everyone's paying more attention to themselves than that level of detail for anything else, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I really, I truly think that I, and I spent a lot of time worrying about everyone being upset that, you know, my performance would be slipping or whatever, but it truly, I think the only thing that was noticeable was my demeanor. You know, if I had a meeting or something, it was, it could be noticeable that I was off. Mm -hmm. Um, But even then I don't have that many meetings. So it wasn't that often that anyone could notice. Yeah. Do you think that, well, actually back up, were you open with your colleagues about your mental health struggles or did you kind of keep it on the DL? 
I have always been very open about my struggles in general, Mm -hmm. but I am pretty hard on myself in the moment. So I, I struggle to, to talk about it while it's happening. I can reflect on it and I can be like, this happened to me. This is how I was. This is Mm -hmm. how I am now. But when it's happening in that moment and I'm having all of these like really dark thoughts or, you know, really defeating self-talk, that's when it's like, I don't want to make anything stand out to make anyone else look at me differently or be upset with me or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, and I think the problem is though, that nobody would be that way. They would care. They would be concerned for me. They would not going to look down on me, but for whatever reason it is that like thought in your brain, when you're down is like, everyone's going to think I'm just crazy or ridiculous, Mm -hmm. you know? And so then I, I can talk about it after the fact and everyone's like, oh my gosh, like you should have told us, you know? And (laughs) it's like, it's difficult because you, I think being open is so important, but then I do want to be honest. Like sometimes it's hard for me to be open in the moment. Mm-hmm. I think that at least for me, I struggle with depression when I'm in the depths of it. If I'm having like a really hard time and episode, I cannot detach myself from that enough to like, even know this is my new normal. I don't remember what normal is for the most part. So I couldn't even tell someone for the most part, I wouldn't even have the capacity to say I'm struggling right now because that's just the mode that I'm in. And then on the other hand, I struggle with what I want to tell a client or what I want to tell my coworker, because then will they judge me? Do you ever have these concerns? I have had those concerns and I haven't been open yet about my autism diagnosis because of those concerns, but I think in reality, you kind of just have to trust that the people you're working with, especially if they're your clients, like you're picking and choosing them. Mm -hmm. You should trust that you've chosen to work with people that accept you for you and like you for you and like for like you for your work. And so if anything, it's almost just like a little more insight into how to work best with you, you know, and I'm trying to convince myself right now that being open about my autism is going to do that for me, but it's still so new. So scary that there's so much stigma around it that I haven't wrapped my head around yet. Like I have with mental illness. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I understand that feeling of being really scared to share that kind of stuff with people, but I backing up a little bit, I really think it's important, especially as a freelancer to choose who you're working with because your values align and, and you like what they're doing and who they are and how they treat you. And you don't have to work with somebody just because they want to work with you. Like turning someone down is actually hugely freeing because Mm -hmm. then it leads that it leaves space open for the people that do really want to work with you. 
And I've seen that firsthand, you know, of saying no to somebody and then something better comes along almost immediately. Yeah, I think that when people consider freelancing as their path, they think about the freedom. It's like working on a beach or whatever, but really the freedom is getting the opportunity, or at least in my experience is getting the opportunity to be more of yourself and bring kind of your full self to a project because you have vetted the clients as much as they have vetted you. It's not like you can say no. So you have that ability to just say, this is what I do, lay it all on the table and, and turn them down if you need to in a way that you can't do at work. Like if someone tells you to write a blog, you kind of have to, you don't get to say, no, I don't want to do that today. I'm curious if when you went from working in the service industry to starting your VA work, did you notice that the impact of the work on your mental health was different or did your problems, um, let's see, like your reactions to your struggles in the service industry, did they kind of carry over to what you were doing in VA work? I think it was really different because as a single mom mm-hmm. trying to arrange for childcare and making sure that my kids are ready on time, I'm dropping them off at the babysitters on time, getting to work on time, dealing with, you know, hundreds of people talking to me, which in general is just absolutely exhausting to me as a person. Right. It was so, I was just always so, so tired that by the time I got home from work, there was no chance I was going to be a fun mom or, I mean, not, not necessarily that that job itself made me unhappy, but like, I wasn't my happiest self when I would come home, you know, and working at restaurants and a winery, like you have late hours, you're not you're not going to get home at 5 PM. Sometimes it's going to be, you know, nine, 10, depending on where you work, it could be 2 AM. Right. And so the biggest thing for me that shifted was just having like feeling like I had more time and feeling like I had more energy because I wasn't always like worried about not having enough time. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to working in the service industry and just having your day is not yours. Your day belongs to your manager and your coworkers who may or may not show up. It's just so much of your time does not belong to you. Whereas you kind of took control of your day. You said, I want to do this thing. And then you made it happen. And then you took your days back. I think that's really incredible. What was your transition period from service industry to becoming a full-time freelancer? Cause I know you did it kind of at the same time for a little while, but when did you become, you were like, peace out to the service industry and you joined or you did your full-time thing. It took me about two months, which mm-hmm. I feel like is really fast. Yeah. I was very proud that I was able to make that happen that quickly. But What I did initially was, you know, one night it's the middle of the night. And I got this like wild idea that this would be a good thing for me to try to transition to. And so Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, I like created my business idea and my name and 
kind of like the general idea of what kinds of things I might be good at that I could offer to people. Mm-hmm. And I took that and I, I was in, you know, some fo- Facebook groups for business and I kind of just offered a couple of people, some free service, mm-hmm. you know, they could pick what they needed. They could have like this many hours of my time. And in exchange, they'd give me a testimonial. And I did that for probably like four or five people, like 10 hours total of my time. And then I was able to have them leave these reviews on Facebook that kind of legitimized me. And then some of those people actually turned into paying clients. They're like, love your work, you know? And then some of them, I was like, I hate doing this. I'm never doing it again. So sorry, (laughs) I can't help you. Yeah. And then, you know, there were people that I, there was one person in particular who she actually became a paying client for me. And then she started referring people to me. She's like, Corey's amazing. She helped me with this. And she's like handing me new clients. Mm -hmm. And then I had, so I was doing that for, you know, probably about a month of where I had gotten up to this point where I had like a few clients, I'm making some money still working at the winery. And then I had a second job doing stitch fix. I'm not sure if you know, stitch fix, but I was styling, I was styling clothes from home in my free time, (laughs) free time. (laughs) And um, I can tell that you have good style. (laughs) Thanks. It was, I hated it because it was actually quite boring. And so it was really difficult for me to like the way that they do it it was mm-hmm. so repetitive that it just, it wasn't exciting enough for me. And it was, it felt too easy, you know, <laughs> to, to keep me interested. So I would just be at my computer so bored, but so I'm doing all of these things. And I did all of that for like a month, month and a half. And then somebody that I knew who hadn't used me yet for my services, but knew what I was doing, like tagged me in a post on Facebook mm-hmm. in a group. And in this post, it was somebody looking for a VA and that person lived near me. And so we went for coffee and met up and she was going to offer me 10 hours a week and we're talking and talking and I'm telling her everything I'm doing and these changes I've had in my life. And we're just kind of like getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. And we hit it off, like right off the bat, we were very similar people (laughs) right off the bat. And so she, by the end of our meeting, she's like, you know what, I'm going to give you 20 hours a week. And I want you to quit the winery. And that was enough that I could. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this person just simultaneously became my biggest client and let me quit my job, you know? And so then I worked with her for about six months doing, well, doing all of my VA stuff, but working for her as well. And then I had started growing to the point where I'm like, her name's Emily. I was like, Emily, I'm going to have to hire someone to take over. I don't have 20 hours anymore. Like I'm, I'm growing and I need, I'm going to hire somebody to take over what I'm doing for you. (laughs) And I think because we had meshed, she was like, I don't want to lose you, Corey. And she had seen these things in me that I hadn't yet seen in myself. And she wanted me to come on for marketing. And so then she offered me a full-time job at higher pay rate with benefits and everything to where I really couldn't say no. Cause I was like, okay, you know, like this gives me a little more stability while still getting to keep my like stay at home working mom status. 
mm-hmm. stay at home working single mom, you know, like it's kind right. of, yeah. but doing that, then I was able to just keep like a couple of my clients, the ones that paid the most, but had the least amount of work required. <laughs> and, and then I've been doing that since it's been more than two years now that I've been doing that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Do you consider yourself a little bit of a workaholic? No, no, I don't like working. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, love that answer. (laughs) I work because I have to, not because I like it, Mm -hmm. but if I'm going to work as much as I need to, to make a good life for my kids, then I'm going to want it to be something I enjoy doing. So like it's, I like my job because I have to work, but if I didn't have to work, I wouldn't have this job. If yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you would, I would just be living. I would just like be living. Be exactly. Working. There's so yeah. much other stuff I could do. Like, and if I could like have some time left to clean my house, you know, we'd all be, <laughs> it would, yeah. yeah. What do you do that brings you joy? That like, say you're like really having a bad day and you're having trouble concentrating and you want to take a nap. What could you just kind of like turn to in your work day that cheers you up? Like specifically work or what would I do to get away from my work? Let's say either one, it's your choice. Okay. If I was picking something that I needed to do for work, to cheer myself up. I would pick one of my toughest projects that I've been putting off because once I start one, I get so deeply engrossed in it that I can't think about anything else. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, whenever I've accomplished and finished this thing that I'd been putting off and that I thought was going to be so difficult, I get a lot of like satisfaction from that. But then if I was going to step away from work because I'm having a bad day, I would spend probably two hours on TikTok (laughs) or I would read a book. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Those are two very different things, but they can overlap. Yeah. I get it. Would you be able to give me some advice that you would give either to a first-time freelancer or if you were able to go back in time past Corey and give her some advice, what would you say? I don't know about advice to myself. I would need to think longer on that, but advice to a new freelancer. I think the most important thing is to, I have two things, actually. The first one is to start yourself off on a routine that fits, that feels comfortable, that you feel like you can stick with so that, you know, like you have these times during the day, it might not be consecutive times and it might not be like long hours and hopefully it's not long hours, Mm -hmm. but specific times when, you know, like that's your working time. Mm -hmm. And then the second part would be to work in flexibility in your scheduling so that if for some reason you can't stick to your routine that day, you can't fulfill your work that day. You don't have deadlines that are going to hinder you from taking the mental breather that you need. So my 
how I would do that would be, you know, any request requires like at least 48 hours notice or something Mm -hmm. like that to where it's not immediate turnarounds in your projects. And it's, you have flexibility that if you have an off day, there's room for you to like finish up at another point in time when you're feeling better. And I think that's the one thing that is hard about being an employee is you don't have that same flexibility. And it's something that is so special about freelancing is that you can just move around when you're working to fit how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. But when I didn't have a routine in place with that, I kind of took advantage of the freedom to where, okay, I meant to sit down and work, but now I've had a nail appointment and I've gone to lunch and I grabbed coffee and I had a play date and I didn't work at all today mm-hmm. because I didn't have my routine. And so I, I really needed that balance of like, okay, I can have this flexibility and I can, you know, take some time for myself, but the routine is really important to make sure that you're actually sticking to what you're promising your clients. Yeah. Did you realize that on your own or did, did you get external help, like a therapist or someone to help you out with that? I realized it on my own because like I said, like I was noticing, I was having a lot of days where I'm like, I didn't get anything done. And then I would be crunch time trying to finish up my projects. And like, that's not sustainable either. I need, I need something that is going to keep me on track. And so like right now, I typically work from just nine to four. And then after that, like my kids and I hang out the rest of the evening and Mm -hmm. I, you know, don't have to wake up until like seven 30. So there's like flexibility on both sides, but I have my, my routine of like, okay, I know my body is used to working at this time so that I can get things done. Yeah. And do you do nine to four? And then you're like, that's my cutoff. I'm not going to answer emails. I'm not answering messages. Like, are you able to just flip a switch? I'm so impressed by people that can. I no, I'm not. I do have, I wish I was, I do have my office that I'm in right now that, so like once I'm, once I leave my office, I don't feel like I need to go back in, Mm -hmm. but I do have like email on my phone. I do have, you know, chat on my phone. And if something comes through that seems like it might be important or it's like right after I left or something, you know, right off, not left, but like right after I go out of my office, <laughs> right? if it's something I, I do have a hard time ignoring it, but I've gotten better at reading it and then marking it again as unread. So like I deal with it tomorrow, but I still yeah. tend to read it. Like I, I have that anxiety over, I need to know what what is happening. Yeah. I think that's really relatable. I like to know. And then sometimes I like to just stew on it, just let it sit in my head and then come up with a solution overnight. Just when you're not thinking like it's possible to work while you're not working. And I think it's easier to embrace that when you're a freelancer because you don't feel tethered to your office, your computer. You're like, I'm going to go for a walk and come up with this great idea. Yeah, definitely. I do, I do some social media work, which I will say is I hate it so much, but (laughs) I've done it now for this client for over two years. And so it's like just a thing, 
but, and I only do it for one client, but that is the one thing that I have the hardest time with structuring because my phone is, I'm always on social media mm-hmm. and it, I'm always connected to my phone. And so when I'm managing that aspect of my work, that one's a little harder to separate and I'll find myself, you know, answering the client messages on Instagram or, you know, all kinds of things that I'm like, I should really put my phone away. Yeah. I do social media too. And I'm always worried about being sucked into that. It's like quicksand, like everything gives you a new idea. So then you have to go write it down. And then like, it just becomes this tunnel that you fall down because social Mm -hmm. media is everywhere. And it's all I think about. It can be a bit of a struggle. Yeah. I, I love social media for my personal life, but I just really, I, maybe I'm burnt out on it. I don't know. But now that I've like done the creation for people, other people, it's like, mm-hmm. I just really don't like it anymore. Yeah. I can understand that. I think also a lot of us just spend all of our time on social media last year and earlier this year. <laughs> now we're like, yeah. get it away from me. <laughs> yeah. I don't care about it anymore. I think TikTok is my big addiction, but I don't even create anything really on there. I've created like a couple of videos to dabble, but it's mostly just me consuming. So I think it's way different. Yeah, I think so too. It, you know, it's so crazy that they create these things to be addictive. And then we're like, some of us think we're better than that. And then I just find myself like, give me the next one. Like, <laughs> Show me that. Yes. Cat. I want to see that cat. Yeah. I literally resisted TikTok. I was like, you guys are so dumb. Like, this is such an annoying thing for kids. And I resisted for so long. And even my cat, (laughs) even, you know, like people I worked with would be like, you need to be on TikTok. I'm like, no, it's dumb. And then I downloaded it and I was hooked the first day. I was like, oh my gosh. And then I found myself, you know, there were days where I'd be on TikTok for like six hours. And I was like, okay, this is a problem, (laughs) but now I get what everyone meant. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, that's how now my brain speaks in memes and just like the clips of music going over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. It really is addicting. I have one last question for you. I, it sounds like a continuing through line in your journey, your mental health journey so far is that you've had to learn how to deal with a lot of stuff on your own and then learn how to advocate for yourself. What, I mean, I don't know if it's possible, but can you give any advice or any pointers on like how you knew it was time, how you knew who to go to when, when you needed to start doing that research? I'm just curious because I think for a lot of people, they might notice some symptoms in themselves and then it's, if they don't have anyone in their lives who have experienced the same thing, it's just this wall that they have to climb. Mm-hmm. So do you have anything for those people? I do. So I did grow up with mental health being important in my family. And that is part of the reason why I was diagnosed with depression so young is because like my mom was actively trying to figure out how to help me. And at that point, you know, autism wasn't as widely diagnosed or understood. So, but that's kind of been my entire life. It's 
every single person in my family has some kind of mental illness that we're treated for. And I still felt so defeated though, because mine wasn't fixed with my treatments. It wasn't helping. And I felt really defeated for so long that I would just keep, like I mentioned earlier, going back to, or like going in and out of taking my medication and Mm -hmm. seeing doctors. And I had so many bad experiences with doctors that it's just like every single time that I felt like I needed to find another one, I was waiting till it was almost too late. Mm -hmm. Like the day that I, one of my hospitalization came at a time when that morning that I attempted suicide, I was supposed to have my psychiatry appointment. Like I Mm -hmm. had waited that long that I was at that point and I didn't make it to the appointment. Mm -hmm. Like I just needed a couple more hours. And, and so that's when like, that's too late. You can't wait that long. So my advice is one surround yourself with people that understand and support you. And if people Mm -hmm. don't understand and support you, there is no reason for them to be in your life. And I think that is something that people have really started to realize in the last couple of years is it doesn't matter who they are. You, you want to surround yourself with people that you enjoy and support you. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's so important, but then making sure that you are paying attention to yourself before it gets to that point of it's too late. And then when you're realizing that, you know, things are off, you're either posting too much on social media or not talking to anybody at all, whatever side of the spectrum you fall on, that things are different for you, pay attention to it. And once you start to notice it, start talking about it. One, Mm -hmm. start researching your symptoms so that you have an idea of what might actually be going on with you, especially if it's something you've never felt before. So you don't have a baseline idea of what it might be. Just Google, like, I feel like I can't get out of bed today. What does that mean? And there's answers for everything. Mm -hmm. And, and then when I actually decided to find a psychiatrist, I couldn't push myself to actually find one. I was so anxious about it that I couldn't Mm -hmm. even like do the research myself until someone else needed help finding a psychiatrist. And I did the research for them. And in doing the research for them, I found my psychiatrist and scheduled the appointment and paid the money. And it was so, so, so worth it. I finally found somebody who listened and understood me. And my treatment for once in my life is working. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so I've heard that called big mom energy before. It's like, <laughs> you're not able to do something for yourself, but you can do it for a friend where you're like, yeah, their order comes wrong to the table and they can't speak up. And you're like, excuse me. And I think that's so relatable. It's like, why I think that we just need to start treating ourselves like we are our own friends in some ways. Like I would do this for my friend. Why am I not doing it for myself? That is such a like <laughs> good hack. If you can wire you your brain to think yeah. of that. Yeah. If you can trick yourself into thinking of yourself as not yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on it. <laughs> yeah. But that's like, I think that you've, I mean, this has been an incredible 
conversation to have. I appreciate your honesty and I'm just really blown away by your persistence in staying motivated, doing it for your kids, doing it for your animals, <laughs> and then doing it for you as well, because you, you knew that something wasn't right. And then you finally were able to work up whatever it was you needed to contact that psychiatrist and get the treatment that you deserved. Yeah. I, I forgot to mention too, that I've been in weekly therapy and if mm-hmm. that has been something that has really helped me too. And I, I did start that right around the time of finding my psychiatrist, which was just like accidental timing, mm-hmm. but that's something that if you can, if you can get in therapy, do it. Like if you yeah. can afford to, if you, I actually found something I'm in Austin. Mm-hmm. And so it's probably a little more accessible here and than some other places, especially other places in Texas, but there's this clinic that they do sliding scale therapy. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, in general, I'm pretty well off, but I'm still a single mom and I'm still doing it on my own income. So I'm not, I don't have money to spend $200 every week on therapy, you know? Right. And so even with my income levels and not being technically like low income, mm-hmm. I still was able to qualify for a much better rate of therapy through these places to where I can't afford to go every week and actually get the help that I'm needing. And the therapist I'm seeing right now, who is part of this sliding scale process, she is the best therapist I've ever had hands down. And I'm paying a third of the price to see her, you know? And so if that's something that's available to you, get on, there's usually a wait list, get on the wait list and make it happen because that's so, so, so helpful. I agree. Sliding scale therapy for anyone, anyone listening who might not know what that is. It's just therapy that's kind of tethered to, or therapy costs that are tethered to your income. So mm-hmm. if you're low income, you can get low cost therapy. And that has, it has saved my life, seriously yeah. saved my life to have, to only pay $10 to go to therapy once mm-hmm. a week when I was working service industry, you know, like it is great. So anyone listening who hasn't heard of it, definitely look up what's available in your area because chances are there is something available. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. We have a little visitor. I was just going to sign off. Do you want to tell people where they can find you or do you have any projects that you want to promote? I don't have any current projects, but you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Corey Underdown, Corey with a K. My last name is pretty unique, so it's easy to find me. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and I hope that we can chat again sometime soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. I have really enjoyed this and I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to Freelancer Therapy. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to be a guest on Freelancer Therapy, you can reach out on Instagram at at Freelancer Therapy or email me, Amber Rhodes, at amberrhodeswrites at gmail.com. That's A M B E R R H O D E S. W-R-I-T-E-S at gmail.com.